Good morning, Mount Horeb. Let me say, first of all, that I miss you all. I wish so much that we could be together in worship. Lynn and I are doing good. Our family is doing good. We appreciate the text, the cards, the suggestions that you're making. No question, we all find ourselves in great tension right now. We would love to be doing church together on Palm Sunday. I miss the palm branches. I miss the children. I miss the choir. I miss uh, uh, all of you being together to worship. Why do I miss you? Because one of our core values says that we are better together. This is not meant to feel right, but here's the good news. This will not be permanent, and we will come back together in the near future to do this worship time together. There is tension between where we are right now and where we will be in the future, where we'll be in May or June or July. There's always been this tension in our world. Right now, there's tension in the creation. The cherry trees, the azaleas, the dogwoods are blooming, reminding us of new life, of resurrection. But at the same time, I'm out in the yard spraying to control the weeds, the thorns, the thistles, the dandelions. And the house next door to me has been purchased by some people from Florida. They're not there. And the weeds have taken over their yard. I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle in my yard trying to control their weeds. But one day we'll get new neighbors and they'll get their weeds under control. You see, there's always been this tension in the kingdom of God that we are God's people, but we're not yet who we'll fully be. We are living in the midst of grace, but we struggle with the weeds. We struggle with sin still. We struggle with doubt and our faith sometimes wavers. There's tension between the now and the not yet, that God's kingdom is among us, but not yet fully realized. It won't be fully realized until Jesus returns to establish a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. And certainly in the midst of this chaos and this crisis, we wonder if that time is almost amongst us. We pray every day for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our world is in tremendous tension between life and death and life after death. We read these words in the Book of Common Prayer. In the midst of life, we find ourselves in death. Almost daily, we wake up to check on the number of new cases of the coronavirus. Tragically, we also wait to hear uh, the reports of new deaths, whether they're deaths across the uh, nation or here in South Carolina in Lexington County. We're praying for the curve to flatten. We pray that the projections will go down. But in the midst of death, we also find ourselves in the midst of life. This past Saturday, Lynn and I rejoiced at the birth of our new grandson, Coleman Grant Kersey in Fort Mill, born to our son Aaron and his wife Whitney. Again, as I look outside, I see new life springing up all around me. I'm hearing great reports of hundreds, thousands of people giving their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. I truly believe a great awakening is occurring through all of this. God is moving. God is working. Don't give up that hope. Don't lose that faith. In 1736, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, 
was on board a ship headed toward the Georgia colonies when a great storm broke out and destroyed the mainsail and flooded the decks. Many of the English passengers were afraid that they were going to drown. They were fearful of dying. But there was a group of Moravian missionaries who continued to sing calmly, to sing hymns of faith. I've found that during this time of crisis, that singing and listening to songs of worship can bring me calm, can bring me assurance, because these are songs about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Just last night, I listened to a new recording on Facebook Live by Jeremy Camp and his wife, recorded in their home about having faith in the midst of fear. I'm guessing the song, The Waymaker, if you haven't heard it yet, is getting a tremendous play all over the world because we believe that Jesus Christ will make a way through all of this. Wesley wrote about what he experienced on that ship, the calm that he saw within the Moravians. He knew that he had something missing in his life. He did not have the assurance of salvation. He did not have the assurance of eternal life. He was afraid to die. On Wednesday night, I shared with the congregation, those who were listening on Facebook Live, about Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 24, that how we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. Jesus said that whoever hears his words and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on a rock, on a solid foundation. And when the storms came, the rains fell, the winds blew, the floods rose, that house did not fall because it was built on a solid foundation. These are words that we need to hear today. And it's not enough to hear the words of Jesus. We've got to put them into practice. See, Wesley had heard the words of Jesus. He had taught the words of Jesus. He had written about the words of Jesus, but he had never put them into practice. Maybe you're at the same place today. Two years later, a disheartened Wesley was back in England wrestling with his Christian faith after a miserable time in Georgia. On May 24th, 1738, friends persuaded Wesley to attend a Moravian meeting on Aldersgate Street in London. That night, upon hearing Martin Luther's preface to Romans being read, Wesley wrote, I felt for the first time my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. He experienced new life. He experienced a recommitment of his life to Jesus. He not, didn't no longer just hear the words of Jesus. He put them into practice. Right now, I want to take a moment to pray with anyone who feels disheartened, who is discouraged, whose faith has been shaken, who you're questioning the assurance of your own salvation, or whether or not what could happen to you when, when death comes, because death will come for all of us. So right now, I want to pray with anyone who feels uncertain. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of uh, sadness, in the midst of discouragement, that we can experience your presence. Father God, right now, we invite you to come into our hearts. We confess our sins to you that we have fallen short and not done your will. We have been full of fear and doubt. And right now we ask you to forgive us and to give us the assurance that you're with us, 
Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and forgiving us of our sins and giving us new life. Not just new life now, but eternal life. And may your work happen in people's hearts listening today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrestled with the tension between life and death and life after death. There was great tension in the early church in Corinth about the truth, the reality of the resurrection. Could it happen? Was there really life after death? Last week, Trevor did a great job discussing uh, Paul's opening arguments in 1 Corinthians 15, making a case for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, talking about the many witnesses who saw firsthand Jesus resurrected, including Paul's own experience on the Damascus Road. I encourage you, church, to go back and read uh, part of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. That, that this chapter is what shapes our creeds of the church, including the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. In light of all this tension, Paul gives this challenge uh, to the church at Corinth. And I think the same challenge applies to us today. These words come from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, from the message version. Think straight. Awaken to the holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford in times like these. Aren't you embarrassed that you've let this kind of thing go on as long as you have? Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to think straight, to believe in the reality of resurrection. I want you to believe in that reality as well, even more in times like these. My friends, if there is no resurrection, there is no living Christ. And if Jesus Christ is not resurrected, our world just got a lot darker. That's hard to believe. But because we have hope in resurrection, we have light in the midst of darkness. If Jesus was not resurrected, it would mean that Jesus was wrong when he promised in the Gospels that he would resurrect from the dead. It would mean that Jesus faked the resurrection of Lazarus and Jairus' daughter from the dead. If resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity, my friends, is built on a lie. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis said about the resurrection that if the resurrection didn't happen, that Jesus was a liar. Worse yet, he was a lunatic. And we had to make a decision whether we believe that Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. I choose to believe that he is the Lord because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus' disciples were scam artists. That Paul's preaching and 2,000 years of preaching were again foolishness and lies. That what I'm saying to you today wouldn't make any sense. And most sadly, those who have died in the faith would be lost for all of eternity. Pastor Schultz was a well-known German pastor during the beginning of World War II. Before fleeing Germany, Pastor Schultz was at one of those Nazi rallies that Hitler was famous for staging. The speakers spotted Pastor Schultz in the crowd and began to scorn him. He shouted, Pastor Schutz, you're a fool for believing in a crucified dead Jew. To which Pastor Schutz jumped to his feet and made this announcement so everyone could hear. Yes, sir, I would be a fool if I believed in a crucified dead Jew. But I believe in the risen living Son of God. This morning on this Palm Sunday, I echo 
the words of Pastor Schutz. I believe in the living, resurrected Lord Jesus. See, Paul again wanted the Corinthians to think straight about the resurrection, that ignorance was not a luxury that we could afford in times like these. You see, friends, when we, when we find new life in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to fear death. Jesus didn't delay death. He didn't defy death. He didn't deny death. He destroyed death. When we know death is defeated, it changes everything. When the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room, they were discouraged. They were disillusioned. They had given up all hope, but they recognized Jesus as resurrected. But yet also he was changed. He was changed with new resurrection power. And Paul goes into great detail in chapter 15 about what happens when our bodies die. He uses the illustration that a seed must fall into the ground and then blossom into something beautiful and something productive. In the same way, mortality must put on immortality. Again, the church calendar says that today is Palm Sunday. On that first Palm Sunday, there was a parade in Jerusalem to hail Jesus as the promised Messiah. Because of the resurrection changing everything today, on this Palm Sunday, we held Jesus as the resurrected Lord. During worship last week, as Trevor was preaching, as the traditional uh, ensemble were singing, as our uh, worship team were, were leading worship in the auditorium, I just reflected on how the resurrection changed everything. How Jesus Christ being alive changed my life. And how the resurrection fulfills, reveals the fullness of Jesus Christ. And, and what that means for us today. I want to just give you some of the things that I wrote down last uh, Sunday. And I've continued to add to the, this list. That because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ is alive. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is eternal. He's able. He's working. You know, the Bible says that right now that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, interceding on our behalf. He's working. His grace is working. He's the way. He's truth. He's life. Because of the resurrection, He's a promise keeper. He's hope. He's a way maker. He's light. In the midst of darkness, He's light. He's gracious. It, it, there's no one that cannot receive His grace. There's no one that cannot be forgiven. He's gracious. He's a defender. He's an anchor. He's a provider. He's a protector. And most of all, because of the resurrection, He is Lord. And the Bible tells us one day that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I pray that all of us will make that decision today to claim Jesus Christ as our Lord of our lives. In the 16th century, Martin Luther lived through the bubonic plague, the Black Death. He wrote about it in letters to his friends. And he, and he wrote in his letters, I ask God to mercifully protect us. He says, I, I will fumigate and try to purify the air and take any medicines I can get. I will also administer medicines to those in need. Luther urged Christians to fumigate their homes, yards, and streets to stop the spread of the plague. Luther also said he would avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed so as not to become contaminated and not to contaminate others. Luther put his trust in the Lord and didn't fear death. 
You know, there have been many plagues throughout history that have killed millions and millions of people. And, and after the resurrection of Jesus, history reports that it is during the times of plagues that the church, Christianity, exploded in growth. Why? Because Christians were not afraid of death. And they also cared not only for their own fellow believers, but for unbelievers who were suffering. Luther felt it was his duty to stay and minister to people in harm. He says, if my neighbor needs me, I will serve him. And, and Luther's final words in a letter to a friend said this. It, it revealed his confidence in the resurrection. It revealed his trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ. He said this, if God should choose to take me, he knows where to find me. Today, we know that God has our life in his hands. You know, Luther went on to write his greatest hymn following this plague, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The words will be before you this morning. I want to read a couple of verses to you. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth work to work among us woe. His craft and power great, an arm of cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And through this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Jesus Christ resurrected. Jesus Christ alive. Jesus Christ the Lord. I want you to think straight about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and put his words into practice daily as we go through this crisis together. Let me pray with you as we continue our worship. Father God, I thank you that we have great confidence in Jesus Christ who is alive who defeated death, who gives us strength, gives us courage, gives us peace. We thank you that he is the way maker, that he is light. He is our anchor. He is our hope. He is our defender. And Lord God, I pray that those who don't know Jesus Christ will come to know him all over this community, all over this state, all over this world that there will be a great awakening of people who will discover that they can know peace in the midst of calamity, in the midst of panic. And this peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We give him all praise and honor right now to Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Amen and amen. Again, God bless you. And please uh, keep the faith. Let's stay in touch. Email me, call me, text me. Any, me or any of our pastors, our staff during this time. God bless you. Amen.